From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Wednesday edition, Ukrainians continue to provide stiff resistance to the Russian invaders. Yesterday, Ukrainian President Zelensky addressed the U.K. House of Commons with a Churchill-type message. We will not give up and we will not lose. We will fight till the end at sea, in the air. We will continue fighting for our land, whatever the cost. This was reportedly the first time a foreign leader had addressed the House of Commons directly. Today, air raid sirens continue to blare over Ukraine's capital city of Kyiv. So far, the United Nations estimates two million people have fled the country, making it the largest wave of refugees since World War II. And there is growing concern that the humanitarian crisis will grow even larger as Russia, in desperation to overcome the stiff Ukrainian resistance, steps up their bombardment of cities throughout Ukraine. We'll get the latest from Ukraine in just a moment from freelance war correspondent Chuck Holton when he joins us. And the Russian invasion of Ukraine threatens the freedom of Ukrainians, including their religious freedom. Could the flourishing religious environment of Ukraine have been a factor in Vladimir Putin's attack on this neighboring country? We'll talk with Eric Patterson, executive vice president of Religious Freedom Institute. Also, in these tragic and unfortunate events where tyrants do what tyrants do, we're reminded why peace-loving nations have strong militaries to protect the peace. This is one of the many fundamental differences between the left and the right. The left thinks a strong military is not only a waste of resources that could be used for their social programs, but it is an enticement for war, they think. Whereas conservatives see a strong military as the best guarantee for not having to fight a war. Let me tell you, as a police officer, I never saw a guy coming out of a gym get mugged. Why? Thugs, like tyrants, prey on the weak. The Biden administration has once again shown their disdain for America's warrior class. First Liberty's Mike Berry is here later to explain. And in the good news column, the president of Guatemala, Alejandro Jamate, declared Guatemala Ibero-American pro-life capital. And uh, members of FRC's team are in Guatemala City today as a part of the event. David Clawson will join me later from Guatemala. Also, Democratic leader Chuck Schumer promising action on a massive, all-inclusive government funding bill. Before the end of the week, we are aiming to pass a government funding omnibus bill. Republicans and Democrats are very, very close to finalizing the agreement FRC's Vice President for Policy and Government Affairs, Travis Weber, is here with the details on that. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, it's all archived right there. Our verse for today coming from our Bible reading plan, Stand on the Word, is Leviticus 22:32, And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Profaning the name of the Lord is more than speaking his name flippantly or inappropriately. It is claiming his name while living counter to his holy character. To join our two-year Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, we are now two weeks into Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and despite some gains, it's been anything but a cakewalk for Putin's army. 
CIA Director William Byrne said yesterday that Russian losses have been, quote, far in excess of what Putin and his military leaders had anticipated. Joining me now for the latest on the current situation on the ground in Ukraine is freelance war correspondent Chuck Holton. Chuck, thanks so much for joining us and welcome back to the program. Yeah, happy to be here, Tony. So you are now in Kiev. Give us the latest of what you're seeing there in the capital city. That's right. It's really surprising. I, I have to say that uh, the first when the when the invasion first happened, I figured that Russian tanks would be rolling through the streets of Kiev within 48 hours. And I was completely wrong about that. The, the Ukrainians have done an amazing job at stopping the Russian advance. And there are no Russian troops within 25 kilometers of Kiev at this point. Now, they are working to try and surround the city, as they have done with Mariupol and Kharkiv and uh, several other cities. Uh, across the country. But that just goes to show that they have actually failed to take any major cities in this country larger than 300,000 people. The only city they've taken is is Kherson, and that city is still in play, according to the Ukrainians. So uh, we went out today to much closer to the front lines to Irpin uh, and Bucha, where there are people uh, just desperately trying to flee. They had declared a uh, green corridor, they said, uh, not necessarily a ceasefire, but they had uh, said they would let people try to get away. And um, it, that only lasted for a few hours. Several thousand people were able to come out on foot uh, and cross that broken down bridge. They got hit with an airstrike uh, over the river Irpin. Uh, but many people that are coming across are wounded, are sick, and are aged and elderly uh, because those are the only people left over there at this point. And the Russians opened fire on those people this afternoon and killed two and wounded several others in that uh, renewed fighting. In the capital city, what is the uh, situation like? Have most of the civilians left the city? Yeah, I would say probably 95 percent of the people have left. Again, the only people that are still here are people who don't have the wherewithal to leave or people who are planning to stay and fight. So that when you look out the window today uh, and the sun was out, there are elderly people out walking their dogs. Uh, there are uh, and there are soldiers. And that's about the only two types of people that you see right now. Um, but the grocery stores, some of them are open. There are uh, smaller lines in the gas stations. So they're actually uh, they're able to continue living here. The gas is on, the light is on. Uh, so uh, life is going on here in Kiev. And although we hear those air raid sirens on a daily basis, sometimes an hourly basis, really all they can put in here is long range rockets from the ex the far extent of their range, which makes them far less accurate. And that's one of the reasons why civilian areas are being hit so often. What will Russia need to do to take the capital city? How how bad will the bombardment have to be to overcome the stiff resistance? They'll have to flatten this city. There won't be anything left of Kiev if they actually take it. Uh, as it stands right now, I believe that this will... Uh, if they ever take Kiev, it will take either a political solution or it, they will actually have to destroy the city completely because there are massive blockades on every road. There are checkpoints. There are bunkers. There, Everything is fortified. The people here have had a lot of time to dig in, and they are ready. And it would be like the siege of Stalingrad uh, if the Russians actually think they're going to take this city by force. 
Uh, Chuck Holden, uh, earlier I played the clip of President Zelensky addressing the House of Commons yesterday with a Churchillian-type message of, uh, you know, we'll fight them in the sea, we'll fight them in the air. Is that reflective of the Ukrainian people? Oh, absolutely. That's that's what they're doing. <laughs> they are fighting them everywhere. And you don't see fear in their eyes. Uh, you, the civilians that are fleeing from Bucha uh, are understandably sad about leaving their families and, and their homes behind. But the the men who are out there armed and ready, they have a grim-faced determination, and they are not going to give this thing up without a really stiff fight. That's one of the reasons, I believe, why the Russians have lost so many. Uh, you know, the, the Ukrainians have actually picked up over 100 tanks. Uh, they, they've lost about 250, but they've they've captured... 365 Russian tanks. So they're actually ahead on tanks by over a hundred at this point. And the tanks they're capturing are better tanks than the ones they're losing. So they're, they're essentially upgrading their military through the Russians. We have heard from President Zelensky inviting others to come and join the effort there in uh, Ukraine. Have you encountered any Americans who were there on the ground assisting uh, the Ukrainians? Uh, we have, as a matter of fact, I, I work with the Free Burma Rangers in Syria and elsewhere, and there's a team of those guys that we've worked with that are here under a different banner, uh, helping out with medical needs and uh, just whatever they can do to help. And I have to say, I'm just getting inundated by people in the States who want to come over and do something to help. Uh, and what I'm telling them is go to Poland, uh, go to go to some of these European countries, because there are literally millions of Ukrainians there now who had to pick up and leave at a moment's notice and don't have anything to to rely on over there except the generosity of the people in those countries. So there's so much need out there right now. And that that's where you can be the most helped, I believe. So just to, to summarize that, Chuck, what back here in the States, Americans who are here that are deeply concerned about what they see happening, uh, even more so as we're going to talk a little bit about the religious freedom that has flourished there in Ukraine, which I think in part is why Vladimir Putin moved on his uh, his neighboring country. What, what can uh, Christians and believers here in America do to be supportive and helpful uh, for their brothers and sisters there in Ukraine? Well, praying is always the most you can do. Uh, but if you want to do uh, something else besides that, uh, you can give to some of these organizations that are out there helping. I know CBN's Operation Blessing is making a big push to help the refugees that are flooding into Europe and to help people here in Ukraine. Orphans Promise is working here uh, very hard. And um, there are several other organizations, uh, like I said, that uh, are I've seen working here on the ground that are doing very good work, and they will make very good use of whatever funds uh, get donated. What is the sense right now on the ground from a standpoint of the United States as a country? Do, do the Ukrainians feel as if America is standing with them or standing on the side is simply a spectator? Well, they feel like America is uh, sort of feckless and wimpy in its response, uh, I have to say. Uh, there, uh, We were out today in European, again, rescuing people, and there were explosions going off in the distance. And some of the few people we spoke to who spoke English uh, said that. Actually, one of them was a PM here in in, in um, 
the parliament here in, in Ukraine. And, and he said, look, if you don't want to put boots on the ground, we understand that. But give us the tools that we need to win this thing, and we will win it. See, they understand that this is not a war between Ukraine and Russia. This is a war between Russia and the West, and Ukraine is the one doing the fighting for it. And so uh, they want to be accepted into the Western uh, nations, the Western uh, political uh, institutions, and they want help from those institutions right now in order to defeat uh, the Russians. And if they get that help, I believe they can defeat the Russians here, and it will be an absolutely crippling blow to Vladimir Putin. Yes, it will, and it will send a message to tyrants the world over. Uh, Chuck Holton, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Uh, Stay safe. We'll continue to pray for you and the safety of the Ukrainian people. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, And, folks, so you you heard it right there from Chuck. One of the things we need to be doing is praying, uh, praying for this situation. You know, one man, one man, you think about it, the misery he has created the world. Uh, not just in Ukraine, but the, it's being felt around the world. But if the Ukrainians fight back and this resistance hold and they defeat Vladimir Putin, I mean, dictators the world over are going to be thinking twice about taking actions like this. And this includes China. Uh, this includes North Korea. So uh, I, I, I pray that America will stand with the Ukrainians in whatever way in whatever way we can. All right, folks, don't go away. We're going to come back on the other side of this break. We're going to talk about this issue of religious freedom in Ukraine. And was that a factor in Vladimir Putin in his move on Ukraine? Eric Patterson joins us next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Lots more to come on this edition of Washington Watch. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, 
voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Well, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has brought to light the many contrasts between life in democratic Ukraine versus the dictatorship of Putin's Russia. But one that may go overlooked is Ukraine's commitment to religious diversity and freedom, home to both Ukraine, the Ukrainian and Russian Orthodox Church, a rapidly growing Protestant population, as well as a Catholic presence and a Jewish minority that all peacefully coexist. Ukraine offers a stark contrast in a region of the world often known for religious violence and persecution. Now, the question is, could this have been a factor in Putin's invasion of his neighboring country? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Eric Patterson, executive vice president of the Religious Freedom Institute. Eric, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me today. You know, we uh, we've seen the religious intolerance of Russia grow over the last decade. And in fact, uh, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, which I serve on, has been recommending for some time that uh, Russia be declared a, a country of particular concern. Is there concern, Eric, that that religious hostility uh, has and will spill over into Ukraine? Tony, thanks for your service on the U.S. Commission. It's an important body, and it is true, and we can talk about it if you'd like, that Russia has a uniquely uh, hostile view towards religious minorities in the country. When it comes to Ukraine, yes, this is a concern in a variety of ways. One is simply that we've seen attacks, bombs dropped, churches destroyed in eastern parts of Ukraine already. But over time, what we've seen is Russia, if it exerts control in an area, that it starts to squeeze out those religious minorities because it doesn't see them as having full allegiance to Moscow. And that's a problem with authoritarians everywhere. So, Eric, let me ask you, let me go back to the original question. Could this have been a factor in Vladimir Putin? I mean, you, you have Ukraine there, a prosperous democratic society, and, and I, I'm sure 
uh, you've read the research, you've been a part of actually producing the research, that religious freedom is really fundamental to economic freedom, domestic tranquility. Uh, could this have been a concern of Vladimir Putin, this contrast right there at his own border? I think that that's exactly right. I don't necessarily think he was thinking theologically or spiritually, but what he saw next door in Ukraine was a type of threat. And the threat was this, a growing young democracy founded on freedom of religion first and foremost. It's the only country in its region that has this type of religious denominationalism. Like you said, lots of different groups living pluralistically and side by side with an allegiance to something that's higher than the state, no established government-controlled church, and the way that that's tied up with good citizenship, freedom of speech, the right to assemble, government not controlling, private property. That bundle of liberties is rooted first and foremost in religious freedom, and that is the foundation for a stable democracy. And so a country that was under Moscow's sway in the past and that Putin has literally lost control of over the past eight years he can't shape it like he can Belarus or elsewhere. That is a type of threat, not to his national security, but to the to his authority in his near abroad. And uh, you, you, as you pointed out, this is not theoretical in terms of this might happen. It's a p- possibility, but it's already happening in Crimea and other places uh, in Ukraine that Russia has uh moved into. Now, we haven't paid a whole lot of attention to this because our attention has been more in the Middle East. We've been looking at Syria, Iraq. uh, And the question is, will this become, if if they succeed, if if Russia succeeds, could this be a, a further nail in the coffin, if you will, of religious freedom in uh, in Eastern Europe? Well, it certainly would go that way. And let me explain just how this happens in Russia and how it could happen in places that he were to control, say, if he took over a large chunk of Ukraine. In Russia, groups that are outside of the Russian Orthodox Church can be persecuted under Russia's draconian counterterrorism law. So if you bring a foreign pastor or missionary or guest speaker to your evangelical church in Russia, you can be fined. And your church leaders can actually be imprisoned for multiple years for breaking the counterterrorism law by having a non-Russian come to your country and speak at your church. These laws are used to bully smaller religious groups, the most notable being the Jehovah's Witnesses. Half of the people in Russian prisons under for for their religious faith under this counterterrorism law, over 200, are Jehovah's Witnesses. And why are they a threat to Moscow? Well, they're seen as un-Russian, but the the strategy is bully the little groups and send a message to the Baptists and to the Assemblies of God and the Methodists and the others. None of you are wanted here. That could easily happen in eastern Ukraine if controlled by Russia. Is is it, uh, you know, the Jehovah's Witness have been a disproportionate focus of, of Russia uh, is it is it because, as you point out, they're a small group and they're one that really doesn't push back? They're not organized like some of the other uh, uh, denominations? Well, I do think that the smaller groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses are less likely to have large constituencies, say, for instance, like Southern Baptists in the U.S., who could mobilize public opinion. But I think that also what this shows us is a the playbook for the Kremlin, and that is 
Putin since the 19, late 1990s has seen the need for some sort of muscular Russian identity and nationalism. And so he's mixed up cultural motifs from the past with religious symbols and the history of Russian greatness to try to create a new uh, Russian identity in the 21st century. And anything that looks like it's outside of those lines, he will target. So, uh, Eric, is the best thing we could do here in the United States is advocate for religious freedom around the globe for all people of all faiths, uh, especially as we look to uh, Eastern Europe. I think that that's exactly right, that the for people who are concerned about the spread of the gospel or the spread of their own faith tradition, that religious freedom allows for that. It allows for people to act on their own conscience. It's also in the interest of the United States to have as much freedom as possible. People will typically choose law and order. They'll choose representative government. They'll choose human rights and all of the other rights when they have religious liberty first and foremost. And so, in a sense, as Tom Farr says, it's a weapon of peace. That's right. It is a fundamental freedom that should be protected for all people. Eric, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate the great work uh, you guys do. Honey, you're welcome. All right, folks, stick with us. We're going to look to a case involving Navy SEALs with Mike Berry next. Don't go away. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins, your host, the website, TonyPerkins.com. The Biden administration has granted less than a 100 religious exemptions uh, in total 
for our men and women in uniform since imposing its COVID-19 vaccine mandates for all military service members. The administration even went as far as to kick out over 650 service members so far for refusing the COVID jab. And this is now the rest of the world is moving on. And we know that, first off, those in this category of military service are usually in the prime of their life. They're some of the healthiest people. And guess what? They actually get the virus and they have greater immunity, uh, immunity moving forward, natural immunity. It's, it's more versatile than the vaccine itself. But if you thought that was bad, now the administration has gone a step further. Earlier this week, U.S. Solicitor General, who argues cases on behalf of the federal government, filed an emergency motion asking the U.S. Supreme Court to stay a preliminary injunction issued in January. Now, the preliminary injunction stopped the Department of Defense from punishing First Liberty Institute's clients, 35 Navy SEALs and other special warfare personnel who have religious objections to the department's vaccine mandate. Here with us on the, with the latest on this case is First Liberty Institute's Director of Military Affairs and fellow former Marine, Mike Berry. Mike, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back with you. All right. Uh, so just to bring everybody up to speed on this, your clients, 35 Navy SEALs and special warfare individuals, wanted to get a religious exemption. Uh, you filed on their behalf, and that is making its way through. But in the meantime, they were being targeted by the Department of Defense, by the Navy, being basically persecuted. You went back to court on their behalf in the Fifth Circuit, and the Fifth Circuit said, hey, leave them alone. Uh, you cannot take... Uh, these actions against them. Now the federal government back in court saying, no, we don't want this in place. We want to be able to do whatever we, we want to do to them. Is that basically a layman's interpretation? Yeah, that's right. You know, people have asked us, why Why is this case going to the Supreme Court? And the simple answer is because the Department of Defense uh, doesn't like losing. And they've been losing every step of the way in this case. Uh, First Liberty has been beating them. Uh, we've been winning this case on behalf of our clients, and I would even say on behalf of, of many others uh, who have been emboldened and encouraged by it. And, and now the Solicitor General of the United States, just as you said, the attorney who argues cases on behalf of the United States has had to step in. They're going to try to save the day for the Biden administration and the DOD, uh, and they're trying to get the Supreme Court to now intervene and reverse the preliminary injunction that was issued back in January that, just as you said, Tony, stops the Navy from punishing 35 Navy SEALs from, simply because they have a religious objection to the vaccine. You know, Mike, as a Marine, you understand that it is in times like this where we see what's happening in Ukraine that the American public is more sensitive to the fact we need a strong military. We need men and women who are willing to uh, you know, lay their lives on the line for the benefit of others. And, you know, no one does that better than our special forces, which have been called upon disproportionately in the last few decades, last couple of decades. And here you have Navy SEALs who are really kind of heroes. Uh, they are being targeted by the government because they won't get a vaccine. I mean, how long will the, the federal government drag this out when the rest of the world has moved on? Well, we certainly hope that the Supreme Court does nothing here, right? I mean, we are the, what's in legal terms, we are the prevailing party. First Liberty and our SEALs is the prevailing party in this case. So obviously, we think the decision of the district court and the Fifth Circuit's decision, they got it right on the law. 
and those decisions should be left alone. But if the Supreme Court does decide to intervene, we hope that they issue a ruling once and for all that declares for the entire military, you do not forfeit your religious freedom when you put on the uniform of the United States. The very freedoms that our service members are fighting and putting their lives on the line to protect, they do not forfeit those rights just because they join the military. And you're exactly right, Tony. What's happening in the Ukraine is showing the entire world how important it is to have every person available, ready, willing, and able to fight. And this vaccine mandate has nothing to do with health, with vaccines, with epidemiology. It has everything to do with the political ideology and power. This is a power grab by our government. Yeah, I mean, the science has shown that to be the facts. Uh, Mike, before we run out of time, the the Supreme Court in this uh, in their decision, whether they stay out of it, could they uh, could this backfire in the federal government where the federal government's stepping in saying, look, we want the Fifth Circuit order uh, to be uh, eliminated. Could the Supreme Court say, all right, this is uh, this is it. No more of these uh, uh, mandates on our nation's military. They certainly could. Now, you know, obviously that would be going broader than the actual case that's in front of them. I mean, really, the question before the Supreme Court is, are they going to stay the preliminary injunction on behalf of these 35 Navy SEALs? The court could go broader than that, or they could just decide to do nothing and say, no, we're going to leave that stay in place. Uh, and like I said, if they do decide to, take, to intervene, then they should say once and for all, you do not give up your religious freedom just because you join the military. You and I both know that as, as Marines, Tony, and I think everybody who's serving understands that. And it's high time that the administration gets the message, too. Uh, absolutely. And uh, Mike Berry, appreciate all that you and First Liberty Institute do on behalf of religious freedom uh, in this country, and especially for our men and women who continue to serve in our nation's military. Always great to talk with you. Thanks, Tony. Great to be with you. All right, folks, uh, you know, continue to pray for that case. This is big. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that the court will slap down the Biden administration maybe once and for all on this issue. All right, don't go away. More Washington Watch on the other side of the break. Stick with us. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. 
tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. I want to bring you a legislative update on uh, a measure making its way through the Congress. We talked about this uh, yesterday, but uh, Chuck Schumer and the Democrats never miss a crisis, an opportunity to uh, to attach some of their bad policy to uh, kind of an urgent spending measure. Uh, in fact, I'm going to play a clip. This is Ch- Chuck Schumer on the Senate floor yesterday, and I'll explain after you hear this clip. We're working very hard on a few last-minute issues, cyber and VAWA. On VAWA, I am pushing very hard to get it in. I'm hopeful that it will, and I think there's a real good chance that VAWA will end up in the bill. VAWA. Uh, we talked about this yesterday. That's the Violence Against Women's Act. Now, that sounds so nice, but every title is deceptive of measures here in Washington, D.C. As we talked about this yesterday, what this bill would actually do is, for instance, um, a battered women's shelter. This bill would now force these shelters to accept men who identify as women into these shelters that are protecting abused women. Uh, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. So this thing would not pass on its own. It's having difficulty. It's been hung up for months because they can't get it through the Senate. But we now have this massive omnibus spending bill uh, that has been uh, pushed through, you know, the rushing it through the House. It's going to go to the Senate where it has the best chance of dying if Republicans will take a strong stand against this uh you know, mishmash of policies and spending bills. Here to talk more about this, Travis Weber, Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs. Uh, Travis, uh, welcome back to Thank the program. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks. All right, what did I miss in uh, describing what's taking place? Yeah, I think, obviously, uh, the giant spending bill, $1.5 trillion, 
and bill that's thousands of pages long, so long that the sections have run through the alphabet and they're starting over with double A, double B, double C, and so on, uh, to contain all of the policies that have been jammed in to this bill. I mean, it's not just spending to carry on the function of government. It's a number of radical social programs affecting domestic policy that Democrats and others have tried to jam in and uh, covering emergency funding for Ukraine. So this thing is massive. Uh, the Congress has not really had time to digest it. It's being cobbled together and foisted upon Congress. And as it moves through, we have significant concerns on the Violence Against Women Act provision that you just mentioned, but also inclusion of gender equity programs internationally that are going to open the door and pave the way to abortion advancing internationally. So very problematic um, in both those fronts. And that's just a part of the, the giant uh, stew of, of domestic spending that's been forced into um, concert with Ukraine aid that I know many are trying to get through as well. Yeah, just to put this in perspective, we're talking, I think, about 12 billion dollars that has been agreed to for emergency spending. The Biden administration is saying they don't have any more money to allocate to Ukraine, so they need Congress to allocate more money. And so Democrats in Congress, unable to get some of their other pet projects through and funded, uh, want to use that as really the leverage, the, the Ukrainian emergency funding as leverage to get everything else through, which not only includes policies like the Violence Against Women Act, but also uh, some uh, international policies at the State Department regarding gender equity. Yeah, no, Tony, absolutely right. And, you know, the problem with these, sometimes you spot issues with the language itself, right, where we know it's going to you know, as you mentioned, VAWA allowing biological men to enter women's private spaces. That's clearly in the text of the reauthorization, which is a problem. We've been very clear that this is a problem and will continue to be clear that it's an issue. You also have language on the abortion side and the gender equity side in terms of some of these international programs, which it just opens the door a bit more to a willing administration, such as the Biden administration, to setting forth executive actions and policies or, 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 or following this up with executive action and policy that will open the funnel for abortion to be advanced internationally. And the problem with this is so much is hidden. So much of the public does not know what is going on in the executive branch. I mean, we have enough of a time keeping up with Congress when you have a few hours to review a thousands of pages long bill, but how much more so in the executive branch you know, the, the entire bureaucracy aligned with advancing policies often, you know, for the Biden administration, pro-abortion policies. And so this is part of the background of the concern and something that we want to continue to track and help bring out to the light so people are aware of what's going on. All right, Travis, uh, the, the best place to stop this is going to be in the Senate uh, because the House, controlled by Nancy Pelosi, is able to push basically everything through. So uh, the action item here. Yeah, I think people need to let their senators know they're concerned about it for the reasons we've outlined. This is problematic for, for these and other reasons, but um, they, can, they can go and take action, letting their senators know that the Violence Against Women Act should not be included and is problematic. And that alert is up at TonyPerkins.com, frcaction.org slash V-A-W-A is the link. And we're going to continue to drive this message home. All right. Travis Weber, thanks so much for uh, for this last minute update. Thank you.
All right. Uh, we like to celebrate successful initiatives uh, when they're achieved not only here in the United States, but anywhere in the world. And that was certainly the case today in Guatemala as uh, President Alejandro Jamate declared his country Ibero-American pro-life capital. Now, this historic declaration follows the Guatemalan president's statement that government institutions must have a clear direction in respecting life from conception and the protection of the family as the central axis of society. Now, I've traveled to Guatemala uh, a few times. I was there in 2018 to work with his previous president on pro-life initiatives. And I'll tell you, I'm delighted the current president has continued this work. But it is not without opposition. Central and South American governments, where strong pro-life, pro-family values dominate, are facing tremendous pressure from the Biden administration to change their policies or risk losing U.S. funding. Joining me now to discuss this is David Clawson, director of our Center for Biblical Worldview here at the Family Research Council, who is in Guatemala City right now attending the official declaration. David, welcome to Washington Watch. Hey, great to be back with you, Tony. All right. Let's talk uh, about what took place there today. Pretty historic, significant, and I would say bold declaration on behalf of the Guatemalan president. Oh, absolutely, Tony. And I'm just a few, uh, a block or so away from the presidential palace where a couple of hours ago, uh, the the president of Guatemala, joined by other members of their Congress, officially declared Guatemala to be the pro-life capital of Latin America. And it was attended by different dignitaries from uh, across Latin America. But it was just really neat. And you know, I don't speak Spanish. Thankfully, someone next to me interpreted uh, a lot of it for me. But the president, he spoke, and he was just courageous, uh, saying that it doesn't matter, you know, what other countries are going to do. It doesn't matter uh, that, the you know, secularism that's growing. Uh, life in Guatemala uh, is going to be protected from conception to natural death. And uh, he just made it very clear. And so it was just so encouraging because the context of this, Tony, like you said, countries uh, such as Argentina, and Mexico and Colombia, just in the last year and a half, have uh, liberalized their abortion laws. Uh, so, but Guatemala is planting a flag in the sand uh, that they value family, they value life. And so, just a tremendous day, a uh, celebration, really, here in the capital city of Guatemala. Well, and, and again, I've actually had conversations with uh, current members of the uh, the parliament, their, their Congress, there in uh, Guatemala, and. I know for a fact that the Biden administration is putting a lot of pressure on them to follow other countries that are liberalizing their life, their provisions on life. So this is, as you say, a very bold statement. I mean, we saw one of the first things that President Biden did upon taking office was to rescind regulations uh, barring U.S. foreign aid from being used to perform or promote abortions. Now they're doing the opposite, telling countries if they don't liberalize their laws as it pertains to abortion, they're going to cut off that federal funding. Why do you think the Guatemalan leaders are taking such a bold, strong stand in the face of those threats from the present uh, administration here in the United States? I think the president of Guatemala explained it best, is that he, as he understands it, Guatemala is a country uh, that is under God, and they, they look at uh, the issue of life, and this isn't a political issue. This is a first and foremost a, a issue that is before God. It's a biblical issue. It's a theological issue. 
And you're right, Tony, one of the first things that Joe Biden did when he became president is withdraw the United States from the Geneva Consensus Declaration. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, Guatemala became the 36th country to join uh, the Geneva Consensus Declaration, which declares that there is no fundamental right to abortion and that abortion should never be a method of family planning. And I think it's just important to note, Tony, this isn't just you know a, a cool a celebration that they had put on an event. Uh, just yesterday, they officially passed a law here in Guatemala uh, that says they will not have same-sex marriage in Guatemala. Uh, gender ideology will not be taught in public or private schools. And if an abortionist is caught doing uh, performing an abortion, they will go to jail. And so they really are passing good pro-life, pro-family laws here. And they, I think the attitude from the people I've talked to, they don't really care uh, what the West says. Um, they, they don't want uh, the West to import their gender identity, anti-life uh, policies, and they're willing to stand on that. And they're willing to stand alone if need be. So tell us a little bit more about uh, your your time there as you were there for the event uh, yesterday, and it goes on again tomorrow. Any, anything else that has struck you uh, during your time there on the ground in Guatemala City that says, wow, I didn't uh, didn't know that? Which, so the big event was earlier today, obviously, Guatemala becoming the pro-life capital of Latin America. But there's a series of meetings uh, that FRC is involved in here that's bringing together Latin American leaders from across uh, South and Central America. And it's just really cool to see how these leaders are coming together and strategizing and working together. Uh, there's, a, there's a big American delegation that came down for the festivities, but over the next couple of days, Tony, we're going to be in meetings uh, sharing with one another strategies and how we can navigate uh, the different uh, government situations because each country has a different set of circumstances. And I think what I'm really just thrilled about is the, the selfless, um, courageous attitude that how can we work together to protect life, this most fundamental issue. And that seems to be everyone's perspective down here as we're working together over the next couple of days. So, David Clawson, do you think other Latin American leaders might see this and see the attention that it's getting? Obviously, the national media is not going to cover a whole lot of this, but, I mean, there, this is going to get attention. Do you think that other um, uh, Latin American leaders might follow course? That's the hope. I mentioned Mexico and Argentina and Colombia have liberalized their abortion laws, but there are representatives and members of those uh, Congresses that are here on the ground and meetings. And I, I think you can tell they're just uh, glowing as they're listening to this, uh, the, the president of Guatemala speak. And I, I do hope that a lot of these uh, leaders are going to go back to their countries and show, hey, look, this is what Guatemala did. They took a stand. We should take a stand in our countries as well. You know, David, uh, at uh, the Family Research Council, you're the director of our Center for Biblical Worldview. What role do you see the church and religious leaders playing there in the country of Guatemala that is helping to shape these policies? Oh, a significant role. So earlier the day, they unveiled a statue, actually, a really beautiful statue that shows that Guatemala is kind of the center of the Latin American world, with, like the sun rays uh, going forth from Guatemala. And the people that they had on the stage right next to the president was uh, leaders of the Catholic Church, uh, leaders of Protestant churches. They had a Jewish leader. They had a Muslim leader, uh, clearly uh, showing to all those who were gathered uh, that the church and the religious communities had a really big role in encouraging 
uh, the president as well as members of Congress here in Guatemala uh, to take this step and declare Guatemala uh, the capital, uh, the pro-life capital of Latin America. Any discussion as to their anticipation of how the Biden administration might respond to this declaration? I don't I didn't catch anything from the translated speech that I listened to. But what I have heard on the ground, though, Tony, here in Guatemala, is that this president uh, has spoken out. He says he understands that uh, Western countries, uh, you know, they get a lot of aid from the United States and from other Western countries. And that aid uh, often comes with strings attached. And he's made it clear in speeches in the last week uh, that under no circumstance, uh, is any Western country going to bully Guatemala into liberalizing their abortion laws? And they're, in fact, they're doing the exact opposite. They're taking a stand, and I really do hope that there's a ripple effect in this region of the world, and hopefully those of us in America uh, can draw strength from this as well. Well, David Clawson, I want to thank you for joining us today, and uh, also thank you and the other members of the FRC team that are there on the ground in Guatemala City to be a part of this event. As you said, there's a number of meetings going on and uh, discussions, strategies, and uh, we are hopeful that Guatemala is just the first uh, country to declare itself as a pro-life nation. David, always great to talk with you. Thank you so much, Tony. And, folks, I'll just underscore once again why it is so important that we elect leaders here in this country that will not stand in the way of countries like Guatemala, but actually encourage them. And I know for a fact our administration is working to stop them. We need to be a pro-life nation as well. Well, folks, I want to thank you for joining us. Again, check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you. With the encouraging words, the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 